This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardoj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. We invite you to gather around and listen to these impactful conversations with principal leaders. We begin with one of the key leading lights in the Trump administration. Kellyanne Conway served as counselor to the president at the White House, the office of President Donald J. Trump. Uh, Kellyanne, President Trump has been a leading force to reduce the cost of health care to American patients and American taxpayers. Uh, President Trump's executive order on improving price and quality transparency in American health care to put patients first was signed in June 2019. Uh, Kellyanne, could you kindly share with us about the vital health care initiatives and acts that President Trump's administration and you personally have been working on to make health care accessible, affordable, and and transparent for American patients, and especially about the most recent victory with the federal court upholding the Trump administration's hospital price transparency, which requires hospitals to disclose secret rates they negotiate with insurance companies. All great questions, too. Wow, you do your homework. I wish everybody in the media were like the two of you, Joel and Natasha. Thanks for just preparing, and thanks for curing what I call information underload for the American people, vis-a-vis many in the mainstream media. You could talk about biased coverage, but what about incomplete coverage? You just spent a half a minute telling people more than, they are, than they've heard in three years from the mainstream media about all of our um, strides to help them. In fact, we are assuring great health care with more affordability, higher quality, and more choices. Obamacare left people with very few choices, and it left many people without any type of health insurance whatsoever. Joe Biden ought to be asked about Obama-Biden care at every turn. We repealed the core of Obamacare, the unpopular individual mandate. We eliminated the health insurance tax, medical devices tax, the Cadillac tax. We have new insurance options for Americans through uh, creative arrangements like association health plans, short-term plans, health reimbursement arrangements. Some of those plans are up to 60% less expensive, particularly, Jill and Natasha, for Americans who maybe are self-employed or sole proprietors or otherwise can't access health care the way many Americans do through, through their employers, roughly 175 million Americans, or through government benefits. Um, also, we are protecting Medicare and Social Security. Do you know that Medicare Advantage premiums have decreased by 27% and Medicare Part D premiums are the lowest in seven years under President Trump's leadership? And very recently, on May 26th, the president had a terrific event in the Rose Garden with the three major insulin manufacturers in this country, with health care providers, with senior uh, citizen representatives. And, and there he announced that the maximum copay for insulin will be $35 per month for seniors because we found in our research that the press the pressure point for pricing for seniors at which they stop taking their full dose or stop taking their dose altogether, stop filling their prescriptions for insulin was $50. So this is huge. You mentioned price transparency. Really big because it's pro-patient. Why in the world do you know how much dog food or gasoline is going to cost before you purchase it and not an MRI? You should have price transparency, no surprise medical billing. You go to the emergency room with your child or your parent, God forbid, and they say, hey, it's all covered or don't worry about it, and then you get a surprise bill 
months later that some doctor was out of network. And so we want to cut down on that and increase the transparency for patients and the accountability for the health providers, whom we work with very closely. And I think you saw that this how I call Donald Trump the healthcare president. The way he has navigated a global pandemic from the health side has been extraordinary. We now have tens of thousands of ventilators in our strategic national stockpile. You had Democratic governors schooling that they needed 40,000 ventilators. They, we gave uh, Andrew Cuomo in New York 12% of that, and he ended up giving some of them away, thank God. Also, what this president has done, $500 million initiative to find cures for childhood, childhood cancers, pursuing medical breakthroughs, the opioid crisis, HIV AIDS ending by 2030, uh, the right to try to give critically ill patients access to life-saving cures. And, and all of this put together, we're still dealing with the dual medical and financial crises of the global pandemic, the coronavirus, as you say, that came out of China, no doubt. Uh, and that this president has shown extraordinary leadership, whereas I think Joe Biden is going to be held to account to why so many millions of Americans still have no health insurance of any type 10 and a half years after Obama-Biden care was passed. Eric Trump, executive vice president of the Trump Organization. Yeah, well, listen, I think, uh, you know, I think my father will be sharing a message of American greatness, and that's kind of what, what, what he does. And, you know, we live in the greatest country on earth. Um, there's no question about that. Um, my father's a uh, a person that loves the American flag. He loves red, white, and blue. He believes in standing for the national anthem. He believes in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, he wants our country to win at everything we, we, we do. He wants our country to be, um, you know, have the greatest economy, the lowest unemployment, the fastest wage growth, the lowest taxes. He wants to have the strongest military. He wants to have our veterans taken care of. He wants to have the best health care costs. And you see, guys, what he's doing every single day with prescription drug pricing. I mean, it's something that he's very, very, very focused on. He wants to lower the price of prescription drug prices, and um, he wants the best school systems and school choice, and he wants manufacturing to continue to come back to this country. And I think most of all, he doesn't want a person who's been in Washington, D.C., like Joe Biden has been for 47 years. I mean, Joe Biden was in Washington, D.C., 10 years before I took my first breath on this planet. And, you know, I'm not the youngest guy in the world. And it's, uh, you know, that's what we're fighting for. We're fighting for America. We're fighting for a country that we love. And And Secretary Carson, could you kindly share with us about this unique initiative which you have been spearheading and some of the best practices that have emerged from the Opportunity Zones Incentives Initiative which is affecting nearly 35 million of our fellow Americans in the more than 8,700 opportunity zones across the country. The president asked the council to redirect a lot of its energy uh, to the underserved communities that were particularly hard hit by the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, And we find particularly the African-American community, Hispanic community had a lot of mortality and excess morbidity associated with the existence of comorbidities like hypertension, diabetes, asthma, uh, obesity, all of these things tremendously increase the risk. So it, it was a matter of not just looking at those entities and finding ways to get them treated through the more than 13,000 uh, know, federally qualified health centers, but going to the next layer beneath and saying, why do they have more of these things and what can be done about that? And that refocuses your attention on things like housing, adequate housing, so that you can space people uh, in a situation like this, adequate jobs, uh, so that people don't necessarily have to have the kind of jobs that 
expose them to the greatest danger, various transportation issues, food and nutritional food. Uh, education is probably the biggest factor. And Governor Bryant, uh, we have seen so many changes taking place since President Donald Trump came into office in 2017. The embassy uh, was moved from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. The Abraham Accord signed at the White House, led by President Trump, with countries Bahrain and the UAE normalizing relations with Israel. This is historic indeed. And what do you see coming out of the recent Abraham Accords that were signed, Governor Bryant, and what do you see as far as the future of the Middle East with greater stability and peace in the region? Well, first, Joe, you're absolutely right. This is a historic agreement we have not seen, uh, perhaps uh, only in the 1970s when we looked at the peace agreement there uh, that President Carter was able to work in. Have we seen anything close to this? But since the 1970s, we have been um, at war or in conflict with the Middle East. Uh, our good friends in Israel have been in that very dangerous and difficult neighborhood uh, of theirs uh, under almost constant attack. And so this president, Donald J. Trump, uh, has been able to bring together a Middle East peace. Uh, people began to talk about peace in the Middle East as if it was never going to, as if it was impossible. And, and yet Donald Trump brings together Israel, the UAE, the United Arab uh, Emirates, and, and Bahrain, the president of the United States, helping them, guide them through that peace agreement. And it's truly, absolutely amazing what he has been able to accomplish in such a short period of time. If you realize for over 40 years, this has been something that has been, uh, has been looked at as only a hope. Only could we pray that the good Lord might bring peace to the Middle East. And in fact, I believe he has had a hand in bringing Donald J. Trump uh, and Jared Kushner, I know Jared very well. He and I are close friends. We worked together on the criminal justice reform, the First Step Act. And Jared is a uh, is a man of strong convictions. He is Jewish, so he understands the faith of the people in Israel and those throughout the United States uh, of that faith. And so I believe he put that to work along with uh, President Trump and the team. Uh, Secretary Pompeo and others that were a vital part of this, but to reach uh, peace in the Middle East, no one, no one, surely in our lifetime, my lifetime, I think since maybe Harry Truman and FDR had actually won the war, but no one's done more for peace in the world than Donald J. Trump and certainly is well suited to receive the Nobel Peace Prize. But even beyond that, he is isolating Iran. So you see the sanctions that are beginning to work in Iran, which is the real troublemaker in that region. Judge Henry William Saad. If the Founding Fathers had seen what the Supreme Court is doing now, they would be rolling in their brains, of course. This is not what judges are supposed to do. But if you are from the left and you want to fundamentally transform the United States into your vision and make it a secular country as opposed to a Judeo-Christian-based constitutional republic, then you need the judges to do what they're doing. And you need the governors and the mayors to do what they're doing and violate the rule of law by allowing rioting, by not enforcing the laws, no borders, no police, 
I mean, pretty soon, right? As soon as they say that, you know what they want to do is fundamentally transform the country. So how do you do that? The Supreme Court is key. Why? Because once they make a decision, like abortion or school prayer or whatever the case, or they say, you know, there is no Second Amendment to the Constitution. They really didn't mean that, so nobody has guns. And if they pack the court, they'll do that. Then all of a sudden, the game is over. There is no more debate. Because why? Because the Supreme Court's decided the issue under the guise of the Constitution, which means it trumps everything, when in fact it had nothing to do with it in the first place. So it is a power grab of amazing proportions. And because they're trying to do it, they're accusing the other side of doing it. And of course, what constitutional conservatives say is that we're not supposed to be engaged in that. Judiciary is supposed to decide cases and controversies that come before them based on the rule of law. Amy Coney Barrett must have said that a hundred times, but that's not what the left wants. They want just the opposite. And there is a power grab of historic proportions, and you can see it everywhere. Ambassador Blackwell, what is your message to legislators and conservative leaders in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and other battleground states who are showing somewhat reluctance and weakness in standing up for the rule of law, the sanctity of the ballot, and election integrity in the face of opposition? As Abraham Lincoln said, we're not a perfect union, but we're a perfectible union. And for 244 years... Uh, America has been the beacon uh, on on the hill. We've been a light of integrity and courage, uh, and it's because individual Americans uh, have understood that a great nation is not the product of a great government. It is the product of good men and good women doing great things together, and there are times within our history whether it was the Civil War, whether it was the World Wars, there are times when good men and good women must take a, take a stand. You know, we are told in, in the Bible, uh, Psalms 11, verse, verse 3, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? The answer to that question is that you take a stand. You don't fear away. You take a risk for freedom. You take a risk to do the right thing. Americans that have gone before us have had that courage and have done the right thing. Uh, they've made us a better country. They've ironed out and worked through our imperfections. They have fought wars for freedom. They've recognized the human dignity of the, of the individual. Uh, and now is our time to do it. That's what hangs in the balance. This is actually larger than President Trump. What this comes down to is what kind of country are we? And, and we must, in fact, have the courage to, to, to stare these irregularities, these transgressions, these constitutional violations. We must stare them down and do the right thing. Congressman Dave Bratt. The big tech, the big media, along with the Congress, uh, tried to impeach and get rid of President Trump for four years systematically. Turns out the FBI was corrupt under Comey. The CIA was corrupt uh, under Brennan. And so uh, for me, the guys on the court are trying to act like they're, you know, highly principled uh, while the ship is going down. And so uh, the executive branch uh, is under attack. The, the legislative branch 
is being run by Nancy Pelosi and impeaching the president and Russiagate and Ukrainegate and the whole thing for four years. So I, I think it's incumbent upon the Supreme Court, the justices, to step up and to make some public pronouncements about what really is at stake, because they are the last defense for the rule of law and for Western Civ. Congressman Brad, how should we respond to this kind of a mob rule taking over America? Yeah, well, right. And we're asleep, right? So the question is, where's Kevin McCarthy, the head of the House, on any of these issues? Where is uh, Mitch McConnell, the head of the Senate, on any of these issues? And they're hiding. The heads are in the sand. And even, you know, huge conservative think tanks, the Heritage Foundation, our conservative leader groups, uh, they need to be outspoken on this. This this is not funny anymore. These are Americans under attack for real. And then after they have riots in the streets in Richmond, they had guys with AK-47s surrounding the monuments on Monument Avenue. All the shops are boarded up and bankrupt now, all the foodie shops that brought wealth to Richmond. And it's no longer theoretical. And then when the media goes to report on it, they, they turn it, they say, well, there was a, a, a single white supremacist there or something absurd like this. The major cities are all being undone by the left. There's mobs overtaking uh, New York and D.C. had to be boarded up election night because of the left. And then the, the mainstream media totally falsely reports. So it's it's time for every American to wake up, go back to first principles. Those, that's the Judeo-Christian tradition. And then that gives you the rule of law. And then that gives you free market. And everybody needs to fight. It's, it's not enough just to, like, agree. You need to get out and fight and change your school boards and your county boards and your state legislatures and get to work. Cheryl Chumley from the Washington Times. All that ails America right now is that we as a nation and as individuals have moved away from that great core concept of America that here in this country, our rights come from God, not government. And when we move away from that, what happens is it opens the doors for government to come in, take control, take powers that the Constitution clearly states that they're not supposed to have, but Common sense Americanism also clearly states that they should in no way have. If you look at America's history with foreign aid, so much money pours from U.S. taxpayer pockets into overseas sources. And a lot of these governments that our money ends up in, uh, they're corrupt. And so, in effect, what happens is U.S. taxpayers are funding these corrupt socialists, sometimes communist nations, and they're furthering, advancing the very principles around the world that are against what America itself stands for. Uh, the U.N. is one big, huge uh, umbrella of uh, cancerous tentacles of collectivism, and uh, that's just one example I go into, but Americans need to beware that all this talk about foreign aid and helping the poor people in other countries, if you start looking into where the money actually goes and peeling back the layers and doing some research, uh, a lot of times we are funding things that are just completely against American freedom-loving principles. Harmid Dillon is a founder of Dillon Law Group and co-chair of the Republican National Lawyers Association. Harmid, as the First Amendment lawyer, please kindly share your thoughts about preventing online censorship and upholding the freedom of speech. Yes, I think it's a very complicated issue. Now, uh, Communications Decency Act 230 was a law that was passed 
uh, over 20 years ago when the Internet was very new, when people were getting their Internet access through dial-up services like America Online. There was no Google. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no social media at all. There wasn't even a title of what is social media. And so, um, you know, it was in a different era. And in that different era, there was a law that was passed to help this new industry and make sure that uh, companies were not shut down because their users posted illegal content, such as violence, defamation, et cetera. Um, and the way the statute was drafted, it allowed a communications provider to take down information that was defamatory, illegal, violent, et cetera, et cetera. But it also said a category called otherwise objectionable. Now, these extremely successful big tech companies have hidden behind that liability shield and made themselves into trillion-dollar corporations by using this otherwise objectionable label to take down any information they don't like, and all of these companies are run by, um, you know, liberal ideologues. And so they just decided to change the rules retroactively in violation of their own contract. We went to court to sue them on their own contract, and we lost at the trial court level because the court said they can do whatever they want. Well, th these would be the only category of companies in America that can do whatever they want. These rules don't apply to, to newspapers can't do whatever they want. Banks can't do whatever they want. People who manufacture widgets can't do whatever they want. They can't lie to the public. They can't breach their own contracts. They can't breach the public trust. But, but yet these companies do. So I would welcome some legislative reform that would fix that and get rid of that catch-all phrase of Communications Decency Act 230. But even before that, what the government can do, and the president has asked the Federal Trade Commission uh, to do, is to craft regulations that carefully define what that language means. And that is within the purview of the federal government and within the purview of the president. He can, you know, sort of ha have agencies that are charged with interpreting and applying these laws uh, give guidance on that. So, you know, overall, what I would really like to see these companies do is reform themselves. They seem unwilling to do that. So one of the things the president did was cut the spending, you know, and, and cut the advertising. That, I think, is very well within the president's purview. There are people of two different minds in the White House about this. There are, frankly, some people uh, in the administration, unfortunately, who, um, you know, are more concerned about what they're going to do after they leave the administration and, and you know, frankly, the big uh, tech companies are, are very well-paying employers, and I think quite a few people are pulling their punches because they would like to be on the good books of these big tech companies, which is really unfortunate. Hogan Gidley has been at President Trump's side for three years and served as the White House Principal Deputy Press Secretary. Hogan, what mechanisms do we have on our disposal to prevent the voter fraud? That's a great question. And one of the things we've been concerned about here is the decision by Democrats to try and completely overhaul the way this country conducts elections just three months before an election. There are only a handful of states, about five of them exactly, that do uh, universal mail-in voting. What the Democrats are trying to do is pass on that measure of universal mail-in voting uh, to the rest of the country. They're actually suing in 10 states to allow votes to come in after Election Day. Here's a great example. In the state of Nevada, they have now passed a law signed by the governor that they will mail out 2 million ballots to the residents of the state of Nevada. Those ballots will have envelopes inside that are prepaid. The post office does not date stamp 
prepaid envelopes. What that means is, under that new law, they have legalized voting after the election because it allows for votes to come in and be counted three days after election day if there is no date on the envelope. So if you're a Democrat and you wake up in uh, in Las Vegas, for example, and see the news that President Donald Trump is leading by 100 votes, you can literally say to your cohorts, go find me 101 votes. Because with this new law, you can drop all of those ballots in the mail on Wednesday, get it to the Election Commission by Friday, and it will be counted. That is an egregious piece of legislation, and it opens the door for rampant fraud and abuse. All kinds of cheating can be be employed by anyone, for that matter, not just Democrats, but they are the ones trying to uh, prevent the election from being over on election day and instead extend voting just in case they need to go and get more votes. Natasha Sardochi, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit and America's Roundtable Radio. Socialism has been tried and failed in Eastern Europe. And it did not just fail. Worse yet, from socialism, most of these countries transitioned into criminal capitalism or mafia states whose tycoons and officials have at times sustained the Washington, D.C. swamp. When we talk about socialism in America, I think of the challenges from my experiences when growing up in socialist communist Yugoslavia, today's Croatia, and the following manifestations of socialism. Absence of the rule of law, absence of protection of property rights, absence of free market, forced atheism, censorship, and corruption. All these are still present today, with the exception of atheism. The twin legacies of communist rule still persist today in Eastern Europe. Disregard for private property rights and the inheritance of institutional power by networks of corrupt government officials and their private partners in crime. Donald Trump Jr., Executive Vice President, the Trump Organization. We got to stop funding corrupt regimes. My father's done that. My father's, when he draws a red line, it actually means something. You see what they did with the 57 missiles into Syria. You see, when he says he's going to do something, he actually does it. But that's not what we've gotten accustomed to from our, our government and our officials doing anything. The reality is, my father said that that's not going to be the case with Joe Biden, whose son's taking money from corrupt Ukrainian oil companies, who's getting money with and doing dealings with the Chinese government allowed for the rise of China to become the juggernaut that it is. That was Joe Biden pushing for their joining the World Trade Organization, giving them every benefit, letting them steal our IP for decades. The reality is this, guys. If Joe Biden knew how to fix the economy, if Joe Biden knew how to do anything, why didn't he do it? He's had half a century, half a century in Washington, D.C. to get it done. And he hasn't. You can't name a single accomplishment of his. But now he's the right guy for the job. Give me a break. It's a joke. But you have a mainstream media that's abdicated their position of being journalists to be activists, to shill for the left. And that's what they're doing. And that's what we're up against. Obama's own secretary of defense, Robert Gates, Obama's own secretary of defense, said that Joe Biden's been on the wrong side of every decision of his entire career. At the time, it was 40 years. Now it's 50 years. Congressman Mike Bost. We need to reopen Illinois. 
We really do. Congress has provided us tools, we, more than $150 billion in direct assistance, $25 billion in expanded testing. But it's still up to each individual governor, and they do have that power, but the governors have to use their state legislature, at least in the state of Illinois, because I know the law there very well. We've seen both Republicans and Democrats alike opening their states and doing it wisely doing it with safety, doing it make sure there's PPE available, all of these things. But unfortunately, in the state of Illinois, when you gave the list of those numbers of job losses and what we see, there's nothing blocking those borders. And Missouri has already opened. Restaurants are working. Indiana has already opened. Uh, Kentucky has opened. All of these states around. And so people who are even close to the border in Illinois are drive, driving over and going to shop. They're going to eat out at restaurants. They're going to other locations that are open. And that's where we're seeing the job loss. And we, we need to have a governor that wakes up and realizes that and starts a safe opening of the state. Oded Revivi, mayor of Efrat in Judea, Samaria, Israel's heartland. One of the leading BDS campaigns was against the Soda Stream factory. And I always like to bring that as an example. There was a very big campaign. There were threats against the owners. If you carry on manufacturing in the, God forbid, occupied territories, we will boycott your products. The owner of the factory made a financial decision, closed his factory by Maale Domim in the Judean hills and moved it into Israel. You know what happened? His sales went up because he did a financial move which had absolutely nothing to do with the location of the factory. But at the end of the day, hundreds of Arab workers lost their jobs because the manufacturer changed locations. You didn't see any parties of celebrations because the BDS understood that at the end of the day, they're literally harming the Palestinian people. That's why the BDS movement, it's painful to see it because their accusations are false. Their achievements are not doing any good for any people. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting in Michigan. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I am Jolan Ansami, your co-host joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit. America's Roundtable brings together leading voices from business, government, media, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and via YouTube on International Leaders Summit. Visit iLeadersSummit.org.